Hi everyone, it's Gina and Earth, and you're listening to Unpacked Global Citizens. Every episode, we'll explore the topics of home, community, language, and belonging. Our guests are people like you, who are global citizens from all walks of life, who will take you through their ups and downs and lessons learned. We hope to share with you practical advice and personal insights on what it means to be uprooted and how to make the most of it. So whether you've just settled into your new home, about to make a big move, or thinking of a change, this one's for you. Join us in this episode as we sit down with Sammy Pontrelli, a scientist and a proud Californian whose upbringing has shaped his identity in unexpected ways. We delve into his journey of self-discovery, from identifying as an Italian to an Italian-American and now as a Californian living in Switzerland. Food has played a significant role in Sammy's life, especially his family's Italian sausage-making business, which has influenced his identity. But what food does he miss the most? Would you believe it's not a burger, but Asian cuisine in LA? Sammy's journey doesn't just end with food. He's also a brilliant scientist with a PhD in chemical engineering from UCLA. His current research in marine biology at ETH Zurich has the potential to revolutionize our understanding of bacteria in the ocean and the fight against climate change. Through his experience, he emphasizes the importance of having a supportive network and work environment to feel at home in a new place. In academia and the sciences, cultural diversity and collaboration across labs around the world provide unique perspectives and opportunities to learn about different cultures. So grab a cup of coffee, tune in, and join us in this captivating conversation with Sammy. Please share this episode with your family and friends and leave us a review. Thank you with a big smile. Hi, Sammy. Thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? Good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. We're really excited to dive into your stories a little bit more today, Sammy. So to get started, could you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? I'm Sammy. I grew up in Los Angeles, and now I'm living in Switzerland. I'm a postdoc at ETH, and I study the ocean and how carbon dioxide gets stuck in the ocean for a really long time. It makes me very happy. That's so exciting. Mm -hmm. And how long have you been in Zurich already? Four and a half years, actually. Long time. Wow. And where were you before? Well, I grew up in Los Angeles, and then I went to Northern California to go to undergrad and master's at Santa Clara University. Mm -hmm. And then I just happened to get into UCLA. I didn't really want to move home again, but I went to UCLA which was surprisingly a different side of the city is like a different world, basically. But oh. yeah, so then I came straight here from a California-centered lifestyle. And can you tell us about all the other places you have lived in or visited? Actually, I was really lucky to be in academics because you get to travel to a lot of places. Mm. So I got to do two months in China for this like learning about traditional Chinese medicine. I went to Japan for two months to collaborate on some stuff. I went to Rome for six months wow. or for a semester. And then I also got to go to Uganda for like five months to do like, well, cumulatively five months for some community development kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now I'm here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is your first time living abroad for such a long time. Yeah. Like where I would consider this my home, I guess, long enough to consider it your home. Okay. When did you start to consider this home? Was there like a moment of homecoming? Or Actually, I asked somebody before I came, how long does it take for someplace to feel like home? Yeah. And he said six months. And I was like, okay, that'll be my benchmark. <laughs> and it actually was, I remember coming back from Milan, just like on a weekend trip with some people that I had met. And I got back to Zurich and I had this feeling of like, oh, I'm back home. I didn't have like the best time on this trip. <laughs> so I was back home and I was like, oh, yes. At first, I distinctly remember it was the first time it uh-huh. felt like I was in my home. Yeah, that's awesome. And I remember the story you told me when I had just moved to Paris, that it will start to feel like home one day after a trip. And that's when you know to come home. Did it happen for you? Yes. Yeah, I do feel it as well, I think. 
just even like landing back in Paris, arriving at a train station, I'm like, ah, it's nice. It's like home, you know, it's yeah. familiar. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. And do you think it's the time? So this whole six month period that you mentioned earlier, or is it what you can accomplish within this time or what you've accomplished within that time? So the people you know, that you've met, the network you've built up for yourself and maybe also decorating your flat so it feels more Sammy. I think it's time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that sounds maybe, I had this feeling when I got off the train station. Well, I guess it maybe it's when I'm like back into a place and more comfortable being. So however long that takes you. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was like four or five months. And yeah, I think I just started realizing like, oh, I like it here maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when I first met you and you're like, I'm not sure that I will like it here. I didn't like it for a little while. Yeah. And through all the different places you've lived and traveled through Sami were some defining moments. Defining moments? What's it what do you mean defining moments? Something memorable or significant or surprising. Okay. So in my interview to yeah. come here to Switzerland. It was like after a really long day, they flew me out for like three days or two days. And I went to the grocery store mm. and I got a beer mm -hmm. and I went to the guy at the front of the store, like the security guard and said, can I drink this outside? And he said, this isn't America. <laughs> <laughs> of course you can, you know? And so this was just like realizing, I mean, that was like something that stuck in my brain. And, and then there were other people telling me, you know, what freedom really means. Mm. And she said, okay, you go into a train in Europe and they have these little trash cans next to your seat. And she said, freedom for me is one time I was on a train and I saw like five bottles sticking out of that thing with their neck facing down mm -hmm. because you can just do this. It's okay to like experience alcoholic freedom, whatever it is. <laughs> like in the US, there's all these rules and everything. So I feel like that was a pretty defining moment for me to mm. experience this. Yeah. Nice. I've heard it from another friend who's also from the States as well, that one of the coolest thing he had experienced living in Switzerland was the fact that you can just buy a couple of beers and just sit on the train and just aimlessly sit on the train. So you don't care about where you're going, the destination, but it's just the experience of sitting on public transport and drinking beer and being able to do that. Yeah, because there's like actually nice right. bathrooms on trains <laughs> and you can always get back and you know exactly how long it's going to take you to get back. And the views are amazing. This is like billion dollar views everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I did that with my friend a few times and it was nice. That's very interesting, this kind of defining moment or like a newfound sense of freedom, like moving to Europe or Switzerland. And do you feel that this is also reflected in your everyday life or in your work? Yes. Well, because we get vacation. Here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> A nice work-life balance. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was in the U.S., my boss would text me or call me like any time of day, nighttime, 10 o'clock at night, especially because the last few years he moved to Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And so he would call me when it's his morning or, and so it's 10 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. And now I remember when I got here and I text him, emailed my boss on like a Friday and he didn't email me back until Monday. Mm -hmm. I was like, do you not like me? <laughs> <laughs> like what's going on? Yeah. But it's just how life wow. is here. So yes, yeah. there's your freedom. <laughs> and what about, I know you're a passionate cyclist. I do like cycling. I mean, I'm not passionate. I don't have like little outfits, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm passionate enough to bike to work every day. And that's also really nice to have maintained roads with biking mm. lanes and this culture. I feel free in that sense. Mm. No cars. You know, when I was in LA, somebody from Minnesota said to me, Sammy, imagine a lifestyle where you get in your car and you know exactly how long it's going to take you to get there. And when you get there, there's going to be a parking space for you. <laughs> it's the same thing here. You know, like I told you I was going to be here at 2.31. Thing mm. today. Yeah. <laughs> I was here at 2.31. So Swiss precision. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when people ask you, where are you from? What do you typically tell them? What's I, your answer? I'm Californian. Okay. So what does that mean? So here's the thing. People have like a perception of like 
the United States. It's very broad. Mm. But like comparing certain parts is like comparing Poland and Monaco. Okay. You know what I mean? They're European. Don't say I'm European. Yeah. You say I'm from Switzerland or something like this. Mm -hmm. So I say I'm from California. And I think that this has like a very distinct cultural identity that mm. everybody recognizes, good or bad, actually. Mm. And it's made me realize how Californian I am over mm. the years. So what is that exactly? Could you try to put that into words? There's a lot of things here. I would say like one of the big ones is not having formality. Also being very multicultural where we come from. Mm. And so like if you're in LA, there's people from everywhere. And I've never heard people say like, oh, why are these people coming here? But we're just like, oh, cool, you're from here. Like, tell me what food I can eat from you. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, here one time at ETH, there was this, at ETH, the university that I go to, mm -hmm. there was this article that they were writing online about whether in academics they should switch, like, the culture in German from saying, like, the do see, uh -huh. you know, like, the, the formal way of saying hello to somebody or whatever. Mm. And somebody commented on this article, this isn't California. <laughs> <laughs> and I just commented on that chill dude. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is from California to chill dude. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. yeah, it's cool. Okay. And do you feel that the way you view yourself as a Californian is the same way that other people you meet here in Europe view California? Uh, no. Well, it depends. Like some people recognize it as being like a liberal place, mm -hmm. but sometimes I've actually had to make little scenes here, you know, like yeah. that guy who gets angry mm -hmm. at a party because people like will, I hate California. I don't know why. Like one time at my house, somebody was over at my house. I was cooking dinner. I didn't know this guy and he wouldn't stop talking shit about California. And I just had to be like, dude, you're in my house. You're saying these things about California. When if you come to California, everybody will think you're amazing wherever you come from. And then yeah. you're just making all of these judgments about yeah. this place. And they've probably never been to No, California and that's either. the thing. They think that LA is full of all these plastic people who are crazy, fake Kim Kardashian children, whatever, all yeah. this culture. But no, he just gives a bad name to yeah. my culture. That's pretty interesting to yeah. think that because that's what we are exposed to you know the media right so the kardashians or even tv shows like the oc and stuff like that that's just what people imagine california mm. to be like and then so they meet someone from california and they just make assumptions yeah rather than being mm. curious and open and asking questions mm. yeah yeah. Because it's a capital of media, right? And I guess it's so prevalent everywhere and everybody knows California. We have seen it in movies and TV shows. So we think we know it. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Everybody thinks they know Los Angeles. And like a lot of people go there who are, you know, trying to make it in the industry or whatever, the film yeah. industry. And they also change it too. I mean, mm. everywhere is constantly evolving, but I feel like... It's more than this. It's more than mm. just this film people. Mm. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have dear film friends. They're really <laughs> fun people. Yeah. And oh, I love them. But still, we're more mm. than just this thing that everybody thinks mm. that they know about us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And is there something that you miss about California, about the culture in California? I miss donuts. Why <laughs> 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 well, is it so difficult to fry dough? No, <laughs> no good donuts in store. No, I miss so much food. I miss donuts. I miss banh mi. I miss karage, like Japanese karage. Udon, there's no udon here. There's like one... You know, there's two Japan towns mm. in Los Angeles. Two? Yeah, little Osaka and little Tokyo. Wow. Yeah, there's mm. so much food. Paris I, is a quick fix. Yeah, I heard, I heard. There's a good bon me there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I miss the food. Mm. Cheap food. Doesn't exist in Switzerland. Mm. You pay here, you pay here 30, 40 bucks. You get a good meal. Yeah. You get what you pay for here. In the U.S., Olive Garden can trick you. You know, there's gross food in the United States. <laughs> But there's still, you get like good stuff for a decent price. Just 12 bucks, you go mm. into a place, somebody gives you some fried chicken, karage. I love karage. Mm. Yeah. And then you're having a good day. I love that because I think a lot of times when people think of 
Americans, you know, they're like, oh, American food is not so great. But actually, you're from LA, you're from a big multicultural city. You know, that's a part of who you are when you were growing up with Bani and Japanese. Yeah, Kage and like (laughs) all these different cuisines, right? So when we ask you, what do you miss? You, you, jump to that and other people would presume in and out or yeah. I don't know Caesar no, salad or like mac and cheese Olive Garden <laughs> Arby's like Sonic all this crap people see on the highway you know like they see or whatever like this gross commercials mm-hmm. Cheesecake Factory all of these things Chipotle oh god if Chipotle comes to Europe I'm gonna cry because it's just this bleeding them in Paris. no <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> no, it's bleeding. It's the end of the world is coming. <laughs> oh, please, Chipotle, stay where you are. <laughs> but don't you miss good Mexican food here? I, I do. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I'm sure Mexicans would come to to Los Angeles and say there's no good Mexican food, but we have our own version of Mexican food. Okay. So I'll be proud of this. <laughs> and Sammy, you mentioned that in addition to identifying as someone from California, you also identify as an Italian-American. Can you tell us a bit more about where that comes from? So, okay, yes. Italian-Americans. Okay, firstly, I come from a very long line of sausage makers, <laughs> which is fun <laughs> to say at certain times. Maestro Sausage. And it's been around for like 90 years or something like this. And it's like deep in there with, I think, I imagine if you go into some like uh, books of go visit LA, there's probably some of these like an old sandwich shop called Eastside Market that's where the sausage factory started. Mm. And they made sandwiches with sausage and then they sort of spun off to being like more of just like sausage producers as opposed to this sandwich shop and it's not like a huge place but can't really get them everywhere but you can get them at restaurants and they're more high class sausages if I say so myself delicious but anyway so this thing was a pretty big like it was one of these like Italian American culture I feel like ignorant almost talking about it because my parents were the ones who were in it more than I was Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of these like families who have like they're really proud to be Italian-American. There's like the Italian-American Association, I mm-hmm. think it's called. Mm. There's a museum. And where does your family like link to? How long ago does it date back to? Is it your grandparents or your great-grandparents? My great-grandpa started this sandwich shop. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, he started the sandwich shop. And then my grandpa took this over. Mm-hmm. And then now my dad and now my older brother. So it's fourth mm-hmm. generation. Wow right now. Thankfully, he's taking it over because I would like to not stay in Los Angeles. You know? <laughs> but it's very nice. It's yeah. very nice. And it's a nice part of the identity. Mm. Italian Americans, I need to say, like, we are not Italian. Mm. We are Italian American. We've mm. been outside of this whole Italy for a long time. We've evolved into our own place mm-hmm. our own, with our own food and mm-hmm. all of these types of things. But the thing is, all Italian Americans love to talk about how Italian they are. Mm. But it's especially becoming more and more clear as I move away that, no, we are our own thing and we need to be very proud of this. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier that your grandparents moved from Italy to California, right? Mm-hmm. So my grandpa moved when he was, like, he was brought over as a baby. Mm-hmm. And then my grandma came after World War II. So mm-hmm. she was 20 or something like this. Mm-hmm. And they met. Now I might be Italian one day. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? My dad just got his citizenship. Mm. And now I might get my citizenship mm-hmm. because it's one of these things where, you know, like Americans have, mm. if you're born to an American, you get to have American citizenship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you have your extended family in Italy still connected? Yeah. I only met them one time. Mm. I think I'll probably go again this summer. I mean, it's sad I've been here four and a half years and I haven't gone out to visit them. Mm. But it's hard because we don't speak a lot of the same language. And I've really rarely met them. I do want to go. I, when I was there, like, they showed me all of these foods that I'd never seen before. <laughs> like, it's weird. Like, our, you know, like, Italian food is, like, very expansive. Yeah. yeah. Like, all these, I can't even describe it. Like, tapas, but Italian. Like, what is that? Mm. I don't know. Where in Italy are they? Uh, in Puglia. Oh, okay. Guobari. Oh, so Caneto. Yeah. 
At the tip of the boot. No, a little more like, north ah, of okay. the tip. Okay. Oh no, no, it's like by the heel. The, the heel. The heel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And do you remember your first trip to Italy? What was that like? I think this is back when I still considered myself to be Italian. Okay. <laughs> Before I realized. Until you went to the real Italian. Yeah. <laughs> Before I realized Italian American is what I should identify as. And actually, I remember. Okay, so like, so Italy, like Germany, it's like this. There's a lot of dialects, mm -hmm. and so they just have. I don't know. At some point in history, like a unifying Italian language. So my grandma speaks a dialect of Italian, mm. and if you know this Italian vegetable chima di rapa, mm -hmm. like this yeah, bitter delicious. thing, she called it chundrep. And I mm. went to Italy thinking, oh man, I want some chundrep, <laughs> and nobody knew what I was talking about <laughs> until one time this Italian girl that I was hanging out with, she, oh my God, Sammy, I know exactly what you're talking about. They wouldn't stop laughing because it's like <laughs> this weird language got screwed up over it. A long time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so interesting because it's something that was taught to you by your grandmother in her dialect. So that's what you grew up as knowing to be this particular item. And then you just thought, I speak Italian. Or I know one Italian word. <laughs> or I know one, one Italian word. Then you actually go to Italy where they have all these different dialects as well. And you're like, never mind. They don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, that was just, yeah, the dialect versus the regular Italian now, I guess. Yeah. Real, unified, I don't know how you call it. Yeah. I'm sorry for being ignorant. <laughs> oh, I have a food-related question. So, you know, your family is so deeply rooted in producing all this high-quality, delicious sausage, which I guess you guys back in the States call Italian sausages. Uh-huh. So have you ever tried sausages in Italy and what did you think about that? So, okay. Well, it's hard to say, let's reverse the situation. <laughs> I have brought my sausages here and fed them to Italians. <laughs> and so it's different. When I got to Europe, also Germans love sausage too. And it's different. Mm. Like our sausages are spicier not necessarily like chili-wise spice, but there's a lot of flavor mm. to them. And here it's more mild. And there was an Italian guy who tried these sausages and said, Sammy, definitely this isn't Italian. Like mm. I know, but this would totally sell in Europe because it's delicious. It yeah. tastes like a lot mm. of things. And there's different flavors where they have like an andouille, I think I brought this, or like, mm -hmm. oh, they have this taco sausage, that's what they call it, mm -hmm. which sort of is like a chorizo version, but they invented it so that, from my understanding, so that it would taste good to like children in like cafeterias, so kids would eat it. Wow. And it's delicious, I love it, but I brought this here. I don't know what the name is, I call it taco sausage because <laughs> it tastes like tacos. <laughs> and people loved it, because yeah. it's just, it tastes good. Mm -hmm. So it's our own heritage, we mm. made it. Yeah, I love that. That's so cool. Mm. And maybe because it may have stemmed from like a particular region of Italy, right? That's kind of very distinct and not like a quote unquote generic Italian sausages. Mm. I mean, that's why I said I didn't want to compare this to any sausage from Italy because there's probably so many types. Yeah. And I have no idea. And I doubt that the recipe that we followed now, even though we call it Italian American, I have no claim that this ever originated from any place in Italy. Mm. But yeah. actually, the more and more I learn about the food industry, the more I realize how weird things are. Like, mm. I think my dad says that there's certain like criteria for what it even means to be called an Italian sausage in the mm. United States. It has to have a certain fat percentage and other things. That's really? what I remember. Interesting. Yeah. It fits this, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I was intrigued when you mentioned earlier that before you went to Italy, you identify as Italian, right? And maybe that's part of you growing up in an Italian-American family in California. And then afterwards, then your identity shifted to Italian-American, you know, living in California. And now that you moved to Switzerland, you're identifying more as a Californian because that's a more distinct identity within the U.S. Mm -hmm. That is... Fascinating. I, I don't know if that's an accurate 
recount of how you view it? I wonder what would have happened if I came to Switzerland without going to Italy first. I don't know. You know, this is part of my personal development, I guess. But the first people to tell you you are not Italian are Italians. (laughs) (laughs) And even when I came here... Everybody loves telling me I'm not Italian. And I had to just tell people, I'm not telling you that I'm Italian. And so that was good. But then I started to realize what I am, Mm. which is from California. And then I love this. I hold this. I know what I am, this identity. Mm -hmm. And that's actually very valuable because people in California, in the US, where are you from? I'm from Ireland. I'm from blah, 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 Mm -hmm. blah. Nobody says I'm American unless you're... Abroad and talking to someone. Or from certain parts of America. (laughs) America. (laughs) Okay, yeah. But I think that generally speaking, when you go somewhere else, then Americans start to become American. And I think it's cool to identify this. this. I like Mm. being Californian Mm -hmm. specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned you moved here after your PhD, and now you're a postdoc researcher at ETH Zurich. How has this professional journey been for you from completing your PhD in an American institution and now working at an international institution in Europe? Well, okay. I would like to say they're all very international. Mm, You know, I think that's something that makes academics pervasive Mm. everywhere. It's like this weird culture, Mm -hmm. the same culture, Mm. but just different places. Mm. So the difference was... Now, just being in an environment where there's like a work-life balance Mm -hmm. that you're expected to have. Mm -hmm. You know, Switzerland makes you take two weeks of vacation in a row every year. Mm -hmm. Which is like no way. I mean, PhD, you have two weeks of vacation in the United States and you have to use it to like go home on Christmas or something. It's ridiculous, you know? It's crazy. Yeah. And here, that's the thing that Mm -hmm. I got used to is having this more freedom. I remember when you first moved here and I would ask you if, you know, you wanted to hang out or we wanted to go grab dinner somewhere and you're like, no, I have to work. And you were still, I think, with that mindset that you had back in the States. And then like fast forward, I don't know, six months, a year later, like, oh yeah, let's hang spontaneously. Yeah plan holidays and long weekends and Mm. stuff like that. So how was that for you, actually? Maybe if you could talk a little about how you were able to let go of, you know, the old mindset that was drilled into you after years of academia in the States and now a bit of a culture shock. Yeah. Okay. Dissecting this, there's like a lot of factors that are involved. Mm. I would say, one, you helped me. (laughs) Sammy, let's do this. Okay, okay, okay. You know, that was really nice. Also, my advisor here, not being a micromanager Mm -hmm. and also not, like, he wasn't on my back all the time. Mm -hmm. And that, like, you know, helped me to relax. And I'm not going to give any sort of comments that I am less productive now. No, but he made me feel more comfortable, mm-hmm. I'd say. And also getting older, maybe mm. I get a little tired. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I still work a lot now. And the other thing is in Los Angeles where it's summer every day, mm. you don't appreciate outside. Mm. And in Switzerland, if it's a sunny day, it's a crime <laughs> to be inside. Mm. And so you have to take advantage of yeah. this. So that also, I mean, people say, oh yeah, winter, it's so much easier to get work done. And it's true because mm. you don't mind in summer when it's this light out at 930 and it's like mm. uh, t-shirt weather, yeah. <laughs> I won't say a specific degree, <laughs> <laughs> t-shirt, weather. t-shirt weather, then yeah, it's a crime. It's a crime to be inside. Mm. So I think all of those factors made me adapt. And now I, I'm not like, oh, Like, do I want to go back? Or if I do go back, will I take this lifestyle with me? Can you maintain it, you know? Like, if you're a professor, you, I want to say, are like the king of your own little castle. Okay. And I think that I could hopefully bring some of this leeway back Mm. if I go back. I don't know what my life's going to be like. Yeah. (laughs) Who knows? Mm -hmm. So it's about having the support network, right? Outside of work, 
friends and connections you make here also at work with supportive and bosses that empower you and also just taking advantage of the environment you're in or you like being outdoors when it's mm-hmm. great weather here or like appreciating the work-life balance culture that's offered. Yeah. Yeah. All of those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you sum it up, it really is just the cultural differences mm-hmm. like all around. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay to enjoy yourself here. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., you're bragging about how much you work. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so worked so much. And it, I work more than you. I work more than mm-hmm. you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like here, no, no, no. People are like, I don't care. Like, don't tell me how much. I don't care. And I don't know. I almost want to say people are like, I got more work done in less time than you did. Mm. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) And that's something to highlight still too, right? That you're delivering still these results that you were delivering back in the States as well, but living a more balanced Mm -hmm. and hopefully happier life because it's more balanced. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've always been kind of happy. But I feel more deeply happy. <laughs> it's good to hear. <laughs> and can you tell us a bit more about your research? You know, you mentioned it's about oceans, yes. but for like mm. ordinary non-scientists to understand, and what got you excited about it in the first place? So yes, I love talking about research. I've always wanted to get into research because I wanted to like climate change, save the world type of science. Mm. And so I was getting into biofuels originally. How can we engineer bacteria to do things that we want, Mm. make gasoline replacements? And I sort of got over that because if you really look into the economics and the life cycle, carbon efficiency, whatever it's called, you know, just the carbon balance of the Mm -hmm. entire start to finish process, these things are not so much better than just taking up fossil fuels. And at least the way we have it now, maybe it's going to get better. But I sort of like, I wanted to take a new direction and think, can we go back to the fundamentals of science and think about new ways that we can use biology to improve the environment? And so I didn't know this, but the ocean, the ocean is a massive reservoir of carbon. There are these molecules that are just there in the ocean that are there for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. Biology sucks up carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and poops all of these complex little molecules, Mm -hmm. millions of these different types of complex little molecules that just stick there for thousands of years. And we don't even really know the chemical structure of where they come from or how they are produced, how they get there. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm trying to do is just in my long-term career goal is asking Mm. the question of how does the environment in a natural way take out carbon from the atmosphere and put it into the environment? Mm. And can we protect these processes? Can we understand how climate change and ocean temperatures and carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, how Mm. is this going to affect these carbon processes? Mm -hmm. And is it possible to learn from this to engineer new strategies to sequester carbon using this natural carbon processes. Mm. Wow, that's so valuable, especially the state of the world that we're in right now. Yeah. Climate change. Yeah, I mean, it makes me like passionate about science. Mm -hmm. Mm. And maybe, you know, it's very fundamental. Who knows if it's gonna flourish one day, but you know, we're doing fundamental science. Let's go into a direction that at least has a promise of Scientists are meant to dabble in different directions. And who mm-hmm. knows, maybe this is going to be looking at these systems. Natural carbon sequestration will mm-hmm. be the seed of new ways that we can take pieces of this mm-hmm. process to capture carbon yeah. different ways. Fascinating. Yeah, really fascinating. And yeah. I just think, I mean, I know that you're at a world-class research institution here at ETH, but the interesting thing for me is that we're in Switzerland. It's a landlocked country and you're doing marine biology. So that's a very interesting, you know, how does that work? Yeah, how does that work? Might be wondering. I think I read somewhere that ETH is like number one for ocean research or wow. something like this, but we have some really hot shots in our department in our, just the whole ETH studying different ocean projects, but you don't need to like, sampling from the ocean and measuring things in the ocean Mm. it's one piece but if we're looking at the molecular processes Mm. of what's happening by bacteria in Mm -hmm. the ocean and we have these 
you know, you mentioned what world-class, really mm -hmm. nice equipment of measuring molecules. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm doing is I'm measuring different molecules in different concentrations and all of these things that bacteria produce mm -hmm. in order to understand fundamentals of how the processes that happen by individual bacteria can be scaled to understand the processes that are happening in the bulk of the seawater at, at a larger yeah. scale. Mm -hmm. So in summary, you don't need to study the ocean in its placement in order to understand what's happening at mm. this microscopic mm -hmm. scale. Global citizenship at a scientific yes. level. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Not to mention, you could be, you, know, you have friends at different universities. You could just, can I have some seawater, please? Okay, here, I'll just ship you some stuff right away. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's cool. Wow. Mm -hmm. And the scale and potential of this is enormous, right? Because like, I don't know, two thirds of the world are covered by water or even more. Yeah. Yeah, phytoplankton in the ocean mm. have as much carbon capture mm. as all of the terrestrial terrestrial mm -hmm. ecosystems have. <laughs> you know, there's a huge, yeah, exactly, the ocean. Mm. We can tap into these processes that are happening. Who knows? Maybe this will have a huge yeah. influence. I really like listening to you talk about science. I think you should start a podcast. <laughs> I no, I really think yeah. it's so fascinating. That makes me happy. Maybe one day. I don't know. <laughs> and you mentioned that in the academics, they're international here as well as in the U.S. And you mentioned about collaboration with peers from other institutions. Can you expand on that a bit more on what it's like to work in the academics and especially with this international aspect and people coming from everywhere? It's super cool. Mm. I really like this. I mean, science, it allows you to, you have to talk to people. Mm. There's my dear friend has this sentence of science shouldn't be done in a vacuum. Mm. And it's true. If you're sitting in a corner and you're trying to understand something and you're not talking to anybody and you're looking at it from your specific perspective, then you're not going to go anywhere. But people from the different parts of the world have different specialties. Mm -hmm. And you can look at the same question, the same problem from so many different unique perspectives. Mm -hmm. And you can really answer the question in a different way. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really fortunate to be a part of this wonderful collaboration called Prime Principles of Microbial Ecosystems. And we are at 10 labs in three in Zurich. We have one in Germany, a couple mm -hmm. in the United States. And we get together every year and we just talk about bacteria in the ocean and how mm -hmm. carbon is cycled and all of this kind of stuff. And I'm actually, I get to go to Bremen for a month in the summer to do some experiments with people. That's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. You just put your brains together and you look at the same problems and different perspectives mm -hmm. and you can learn so much more. Mm -hmm. And you learn about each other's cultures also different. I mean, I can talk forever. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. The, the ability to look at the same problem from different angles, asking questions, challenging each other, and also supporting one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And I feel so lucky to be a part of this. And I hope that I can continue for the rest of my life to be a part of this. Go proud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, you know, think, looking back at your different steps and journeys, I mean, what were your most difficult moment moving into a new place? And on the other hand, what had been your favorite part or enjoyable moment? So, okay. When I moved to Switzerland, I actually said to my boss in my interview, I think I'm going to have trouble with the food here. <laughs> and he still gives me so much crap about that. Really? <laughs> yeah. And what did you mean by that? You go into the supermarket here and they have a sushi sandwich. <laughs> I mean, like, they just like we have Applebee's, they have sushi mm. sandwiches. <laughs> like, it's just there's this lack of cheap, delicious food. And mm. I think my lowest point mm. was this four months into being here, I was depressed. I was whatever. And my friend said, Oh, let's go to this pasta place. And it was, I went to this pasta place. And it, they had like this butter Parmesan pasta. And I was like, mm, sounds good. Like cacio e pepe or something like this. Mm. And it was 16 bucks. And they <laughs> brought over this plate. And it was a bowl of buttered pasta with a shaker of Parmesan on the oh, side. That's what you get for kids. I know. <laughs> and I looked at this and I almost wanted to cry. Where oh. the hell am I? How are we so close to Italy? And they can't make a bowl of pasta. 
You know, th- this is what they have. <laughs> this is my Italian coming out now, whatever. <laughs> like, and this was the lowest okay. of my life. And Gina, this is before I met you, or maybe... I think I've heard the story when we met. So I think that was your lowest point after you had this experience where you gave up on like food in Switzerland. Yeah. And then we met. And we met. Mm-hmm. And we met on Tinder. I went mm-hmm. on straight people Tinder. Mm-hmm. And I said, I want to have some friends to eat delicious things. Mm-hmm. And that's how we met. You took me to ramen. Mm-hmm. And, and you were like so skeptical. Yeah. But it exists. I was very skeptical. I was like, you don't know. We have two Japan towns. <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, wow, this is actually good. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess Switzerland is not known for affordable cost of living, but with the right local friends, you can discover great places. Yeah, yeah. You can't go out and eat every day, but, you know, when you can, choose wisely. Mm. And, you know, I got to give it to Switzerland. If you pay 30 bucks for a meal, it's mm. going to be worth 30 bucks. Mm. Like, you're not going to get screwed. You go mm. to the middle of, no, you go to the highest mountain. That's my favorite part about Switzerland. You go on a big hike. Anywhere you go, there is going to be a hut at the top of the mountain who is going to give you a beer Mm. and some food for whatever, 20, 30 bucks, and Mm. it's good food. Mm -hmm. And the views. And the views. And the feeling of having accomplished the hike. It's just so satisfying. And if you plan it right, there's a gondola that goes down, so you don't even have to hike down. <laughs> That's why I do have a good hike as well. So basically, you have like a hut at the end, like you said, and that's like the reward mechanism, and that's what gets you up the mountain. You know, just that thought, okay, I'm going to get that so fresh, ref- like nice, cold, refreshing drink up there and the most delicious meal that I've been dreaming about now the past two hours as I'm sweating. Um, exactly. And, up, and then you're there and you're like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I always step on roosty, roosty, roosty. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm getting hungry. <laughs> and so what has been your most expensive, or I guess you could also consider it your most valuable lesson so far? Okay. Moving to a different country. I mean, when you say expensive, I immediately think of don't hire a CPA (laughs) to do your taxes or ask how much it costs beforehand. (laughs) Maybe we can quickly jump into that because there are lots of Americans who are thinking about, you know, moving abroad and you have to file your tax return still in the States as well, right? Yeah, it's pretty annoying. So there's like three levels that you can do in Mm. terms of expense wise. One is, as my very paranoid dad says, just get a CPA, you know, a certified public accountant. Mm -hmm. So they're like Mm -hmm. the real deal. And they cost $2,000. And I don't know why I didn't realize they cost $2,000 beforehand. So I paid $2,000 to do my taxes once, which is ridiculous because, you know, that's like a sizable portion of my Mm -hmm. salary. And then you have like H&R Block for expat services, which I did that this year. Okay. Shout out to H&R Block. Mm. 400 bucks. You give them everything and they just do it for you. And then you have the people who spend, you know, three days sitting down and understanding all the little forms and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And they somehow managed to do it for like 60 bucks. Mm. But I'm not a very like careful person. Mm. And there's certain documents where if you mess it up, you have a fine of $10,000. What? Yeah. Mm. If they catch you, I don't really understand what this means, but I don't want to screw it up. So I'm going to pay 400 bucks and be happy. Mm. Okay. I resonate so much with this story. And I think that the key lesson is that, you know, it's very hard being a foreigner or an expat or moving around because all our legal and tax papers just multiply in terms of complexity. And for me, the story was more that I didn't get proper help my first couple of years in France, and I ran into a series of complications. But anyway, for for me, the lesson is now I do have like financial advisor helping me with all the forms and stuff, which has been such a blessing. Mm -hmm. But I think that your point is like, we need to carefully select the right help, right? Because it can make all the difference or it can also make us go bankrupt. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's hard. Like, it's like you're living across the world. You kind of have like a little bit of a big boy decision to make. Yeah. Like, kind of be responsible. Yeah. It's like the world's small, but you still have to be responsible, you know? (laughs) Like, don't screw it up. Yeah. And I think it's something that maybe often we don't think about too much when you're thinking of moving to a new place or you've just moved to a new place. You're so 
involved in the current situation at hand and like the small everyday things and the small issues of this everyday things like mm. you know these kind of larger tax or admin things just seem so out of scope and you don't really think about that in advance or prepare mm. for it you have to prepare <laughs> <laughs> sami if you look back five years ago you know as you were about to move to switzerland now knowing what you know now What would you tell your younger self, the Sammy five years ago? You mean like before I was going to move here? Yeah, exactly. Okay, I would just say I told you somebody said it takes six months for it to feel like home, mm -hmm. but you got to remind yourself to cut yourself a break. Mm -hmm. You know, I came in thinking, oh, I could do it. it's going to be hard. I'll do it. I'll be a champion. You know, whatever. But like after like a month two, and you realize, oh, you have to like try a little bit harder than. Just cut yourself a break. Mm -hmm. Just like it's okay. Like I cut myself a break for a month or two. It's fine. Just you're not gonna make friends that you can like feel like are your good friends for a little while. Mm -hmm. Even if they become your good friends for a little while, it takes a while to develop mm -hmm. a relationship with people. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that chill man, chill mm -hmm. Sammy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a great reminder. Mm -hmm. And then I think you mentioned somewhere about Swiss people are like two drinks deep. Yes. Can you maybe elaborate on that a little bit? Okay. So here's the thing. I love Swiss people. I'm going to start with this sentence. <laughs> <laughs> When people come to Switzerland, there's a lot of foreigners that have this like thought amongst them that Swiss people are very cold and Swiss culture is so difficult to break into. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, Like, I thought this. I always said Swiss people are like deer. They're like really beautiful. And then you get close and they like prance away, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> But I have a Swiss friend and she was like, my very wonderful Swiss friend, Senia. She said, Sammy, why do you think this? I don't understand why people say this. I don't know any cold Swiss people. And I thought about it and it's true. I actually, mm -hmm. it's like, I think that this is a total misconception. I think there's two things. Swiss people, a lot of times they just don't feel super comfortable speaking in English. Mm. We're in their country. Like they have four languages. One of them isn't English. <laughs> so it's like not our responsibility to expect people to be super fluent. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, they are super nice people. You just have mm. the two drinks deep. That's what I like to think. If you know somebody, just like anybody's two drinks deep, I think. And so when you mean two drinks deep, like you want to have a conversation Whatever you want to have, break the ice. The ice is two drinks deep. Can I say mm -hmm. that? Yeah. And drinks are alcoholic, right? Alcoholic drinks. Yeah. Just wanted to be clear because that's also been my experience getting to know my very first Swiss friends back in university. It was so hard to kind of like break down the barriers. But then all you needed to do was go to a student party and get drunk together. And then you were in. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think that the language thing is a big one because, and it sucks because Swiss German, like Swiss, there's, there's German, mm -hmm. which is the national language and you can learn German, but then the language people speak here is Swiss German and it's really hard to break into that. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so I got a Swiss German teacher for a little while mm -hmm. and to just jump right into it. It's a kind of, you were learning, jumping into the deep end with this, but it's so much fun because people, Swiss people love talking about Swiss German and telling you the right things, the dirty words, mm -hmm. to, to tell you that something you learned from somebody's wrong, you know, <laughs> and it's great. I love this. So that was fun. I like that. And so what accomplishments are you most proud of and why? These can uh, be professional or personal achievements. Okay. I'm going to say Above. something corny. Course, Actually, yeah. the first thing that comes to my mind is mm -hmm. I am so proud of my friends. Okay, so I had this birthday party and it was at a kiosk, which is like 7-Eleven, but Swiss style. It was, it worked out really nice. And there was a table of like 20 people there. Mm. And I look at them and I'm like, these are my friends. I made them, they're cool people and they want to hang out with me. <laughs> like they're my friends and I am very proud that I made all these friends and they're cool people. I know that sounds corny, but I feel very lucky and I'm very proud of them. Mm. My collection. <laughs> so lastly, Sammy, what would be your parting advice for our listeners? I would say that if you're moving to a new place, Keep an open mind, of course. Uh, I would say also 
you got to go out of your way to meet people. Mm -hmm. And I always asked people like, well, I didn't ask people, but you need to see who has friend vacancies. Mm -hmm. And so when I was talking to people, I wouldn't say, hello, do you have friend vacancies? Can I be your <laughs> friend? Because everybody's going to say, oh, sure, you know. But I would say to people, oh, yeah, I have like friend vacancies right now. I'm like looking for this. And people would say, oh, I have a friend vacancy. And that's how I made some of my yeah. friends. Oh, I've never heard this before. It's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Or like meetup groups. Yeah. You go to meetup groups. You don't have to go hang out with all the meetup people, but you go there, you snag a few. It's like fishing. Mm. You go make some friends. Go on. Or straight people Tinder. Or straight people Tinder. Hold a sign saying, please be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so just be proactive. I want to say that because I hear a lot of people who feel very unhappy with how hard it is to make friends mm -hmm. and i get it but i also think you need to try then you say what are you doing about it and they're oh no 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 it's mm. not the good attitude yeah <laughs> try that's all and don't give up and don't give up it'll get better mm -hmm. amazing thank you thank you so much sammy for sharing your story with us and the audience we love hearing all about it and i think i love about the part about the family growing up in california in la and how your identity shifts a little bit or how you view yourself as you move through the world mm -hmm. and the part about your research and the collaboration and what you are looking into is fascinating and yeah super excited about the potential of what it could become and i am maybe being completely selfish here on my end, but I do hope that you decide to stay in Zurich with us for a lot longer. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> my dear friends. Thank you so much for Thank you, this. Sammy. Thank you. See you soon, everyone. See you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Unpack Global Citizens with your host, Earth and Gina. We're so happy to have you in our community. If you enjoyed this, share it with your friends. Want to share your experiences with us or wish we would ask a particular question? Find us on Instagram and Twitter at unpacked.globalcitizens. Thanks again. Bye.